The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 137. Captain DeBridge, Spock here. Make himself. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today, we're now that the third season of Discovery is over, we're returning to our discussion of the various uh, se- series that have already existed. And this time, we're, we're discussing the Voyager episode, Heroes and Demons, or as I like to call it, Beowulf in Space! And joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Very well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, remember to like The Secrets of Star Trek on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Media, And re- be sure to retweet us on Twitter, where we're at SQPN, and, and leave us replies and comments and your various r- responses in those places. So I want to start by talking a little bit about the background of this episode. It's written by Naren Shankar, who was a staff writer for both Next Gen and DS9, but was mm-hmm. not on the staff for Voyager. For this, he was a freelancer uh, uh, by this point. But he knew Star Trek. He'd been writing it for a while. Um, and he said, that, as he talked about this in interviews, the premise, the, the, the original idea was the premise of people disappearing from the holodeck and the doctor having to go in and save them because of his unique nature as a holographic uh, character. Mm-hmm. And uh, the whole idea of the Viking setting and all that came later. And he chose that because Star Trek hadn't really touched on Vikings at all. Uh, this was the first Viking episode. Or beekeepers. Uh, <laughs> right. Well, we haven't done beekeepers, whereas the the, the Doctor Who has done beekeepers. Uh, now, of course, as we talk about this in, well, we're talking about this in 2020, but as you hear this in 2021, Vikings are big. It's like, thanks to the History Channel show, and there are lots of Viking shows. But this is actually kind of funny, because when this aired in 1995, this Vikings were not the the phenomenon that they are now. And another thing that kind of uh, kind of struck me was the repetitive nature of the encounters they have on the holodeck are clearly influenced by early role playing games, like video role playing games, mm-hmm. uh, because you have this the repeti- repetition of the same dialogue and back or and forth variations and, of it. It's not yeah. exactly the same, Ex- so the program's right. clearly adjusting, but running through the same scenario, right? Which will right. have an interesting implication at one point. Yes. Um. There are several Beowulf in-jokes, according to Shankar, who said he was surprised that no one on staff had read Beowulf before and thus didn't get it when he put them in. <laughs> so that's some issue. Well, there's some more tidbits will go that'll come up as we go through, but, uh, but those are the ones I wanted to throw out there up, uh, first. So it starts with Voyager is apparently investigating photonic activity in a nearby protostar, at which point I said, you mean... It's giving light. off light? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because that's what photonic activity is, is light. But this is special photonic energy that's different 
light. It's also <laughs> somehow photonic matter. Yes. Uh, and so they're beaming some of the stuff on board. And, uh, and it's in- clear as soon as they're beaming them into these little canisters. And it's like, okay, that's obviously a life form in there. <laughs> Yeah, like this is—is is this your so first? <laughs> right out of the gate, we know your this episode is going to be about before they even say anything. Just the special effects tell us this is going to be about encountering beings made of light. Yes, yeah. like this is not a new idea in Star Trek. And I was like, "Is this your first day in Starfleet, Captain?" Like this has been a fairly common thing. One of my first notes was, "This is yet another strange particles are really alive episode." Yes, <laughs> right, right. So they beam him two samples, for some reason, uh, plot reasons, into two sample containers, but only one of the sample containers makes it. The other one sort of disappears in the system somewhere, and they seem apparently unconcerned by this, and so just beam some more in. Janeway wants Torres's analysis to go quicker, because Torres says it's going to take, you know, X hours, and Janeway says, I don't have time for that. Uh, let's get Harry Kim. He's, he's, he's got his day off, but, you know, we'll, we'll call him Rope back him from in. his... Rope him yep. in, you know, because I'm sure Harry will love that. Come in on your day off, and uh, but when she tries to call him, <laughs> the computer says he's not on the ship. And so that's... it's yet another Harry Kim is mysteriously not on the ship episode that keeps <laughs> right. happening. If I were the, if I were a Garrett Wang, I'd be like, "Are you guys trying to get rid of me? Like, you keep having me disappear." <laughs> they sort of were. He was. He. He. he I mean, they weren't going <laughs> to fire him, but he. He. Wasn't had a re- he had a reputation for not showing up on time and knowing his lines. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> so he doesn't he's not at all in this episode until the very last scene, by the way. He so, gets one um, line. He gets one yeah. line, so he gets residuals. That's yep. right. Uh, hey, if, if you get paid, you get paid. So uh Harry was supposed to be on the holodeck, and so when they scan it, something is wrong, uh, of course. And, and they so can't shut down the program. Of course, so it's yeah. yet another holodeck mon- malfunction episode. We got a lot of these yet another yeah. episodes lining up on this one. Really have yeah. the have the tropes piling up here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Chakotay and Tuvok go in to, to investigate. And uh, I think at some point, uh, the, uh, Tuvok will warn, uh, things, are, things don't seem to be working. So we have to be aware that the safety protocols might be off. Because, yep. again, I'm going to point out again how dumb an idea it is that you can actually turn the safety protocols off. Yeah, it should be like the the program automatically shuts down when that kind of system error is detected. Right, right. So the program that's running is a hollow novel about Beowulf, and we get this a brief description of Beowulf for the sake of the audience and the Vulcan, who apparently is not well-read on you know, human literature. Um they encounter Freya, a shield maiden. Marjorie Monahan, yay! Yeah, <laughs> number one from Babylon Five. Oh, in a pre-number one role. I like Marjorie Monahan; she's great. Oh yeah, that's where she looks familiar from. Okay, okay. So um, she's uh, challenges them uh, when they realize they can't delete her from the program. That's when they assume that safety protocols must be down, and uh, they find out that Harry was playing as Beowulf. Like, who else would he? Who else would he be playing as? Like, yeah. if you're in a hovel novel about Beowulf, what, are you going to be, well, like, some minor in, character? In the third Beowulf story, there is a kind of sidekick that Beowulf has, but... I yeah. suppose. <laughs> so he was Beowulf. Freya says he's dead, and uh, she thinks that they must be Beowulf's kinsmen. Uh, they meet King Rothgar in his mead hall. He tells them that Harry was killed by Grendel. He's 
Grendel is the big villain in Beowulf, the the, the monster. The monster. Yep. Uh, Tuvok and Chakotay want to see Grendel, because they assume that has something to do with why Harry is missing. Uh, so they will stand watch that night. And as they do, they're going to try to repair the holodeck using the control panels that are inside yeah. holodecks for some reason. They're also talking to Janeway and Torres on the phone, and it, and it turns out the photonic energy that they beamed in has caused a problem and has gotten into other systems, too. And I like how Janeway lectures Torres on how holodecks, holodecks are basically an outgrowth of transporter technology. As if your <laughs> chief engineer didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, there is an interesting little uh, interplay between Tuvok and Chakotay here, where Chakotay talks to Tuvok about how monsters and demons help different cultures on Earth deal with their darkest emotions and fears through heroic literature. Mm-hmm. And then Tuvok says, only unduly emotional cultures need such fables, pointing out there are no demons in Vulcan literature. And Chakotay says, yeah, that must be why it's so popular. Yeah, that was a great one. I like that. Also, it's like, yeah, you you don't have demons. You've got Salats and Lamachas on Vulcan. <laughs> yeah, you don't yeah. need fake monsters. You got real ones. <laughs> Tuvok, by the way, thinks that Harry might have been converted into energy somehow. Um, it, Again, isn't that called a transporter? Well, I was going to say, if you have a universe that has functional transporters. You have to allow for this idea that people can become energy and survive as pure energy and being reconstituted again. Like we saw that in the in the TNG episode we did. Um, what was that one called? The the one where the transporter malfunctioned. Yeah. Yes. Yes. The one where the transporter. <laughs> yeah. And Picard ended up as an energy being for a while. You just you just have to allow for it, I suppose. And that, that you know the funny part is it's it's always been one of those questions in my mind. You know if if the Holodeck basically works as a transporter in reverse, taking energy to make matter and turning it back to energy. Couldn't there be a glitch that, say, matter that walked into the transporter room becomes, or the uh, holodeck room becomes energy? Well, yeah, we just see it well, right well, now. That's why you have safety protocols that can't be turned off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> unless unless the power's low on on the ship, like say in lower decks, and you know yeah. it, it disables yes. non-essential functions like safety protocols. Or you're a Klingon who wants to have really challenging workouts. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> By so, the way, the episode you were thinking of is Lonely Among Us. That's right. That's it. Lonely Among Us. Um, so Grendel approaches the Mead Hall and uh, looks a lot like that photonic energy that Torres was working on in engineering. Huh. I wonder if they're related to anything. And then when Grendel comes in, Tuvok and Chakotay are gone. You know, the, uh, we hear it from Janeway's perspective on the bridge where she's calling them and they're not responding. And we, we, we are told. They're not there anymore. And that's when Paris shows up from wherever he was. And it's very interesting. Like, Paris has very little role in this episode, but he's Mm -hmm. apparently the one who's not willing to give up on the three officers. And he's the one that comes up with the idea that the doctor might be able to survive Grendel, Grendel's attack. And I'm like, is this because uh, the, the actor, you know, for Paris didn't have anything else to do in this episode. We had yeah. to make sure that oh. we had him in it. That tends to happen. I mean, yep. the writers know that if a character doesn't appear and get dialogue in an episode, they're not going to get paid the same. Yes. So, and this is something that actually, over on Babylon 5, Bill Moomy, you know, who's been working in the business yep. since he was a little kid, literally, yep. yeah, as a, as a veteran of Hollywood 
television acting was pointing out to some of his castmates who were complaining about, I only get one line in this episode. And Bill Mooney is like, that means you get paid. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're, the writers there. You didn't have to be because they're complaining. Like, I get one line. I don't even need to be in this episode. And he's going, yeah, you're right. You don't need to be in this episode. The writer has given you has put you in this episode and given you this line. So you will get residuals for it. Yep. Mm. I was going to say, you know, I mean, it does kind of fit Tom Paris's character, at least as they kind of develop it, because we do see him doing a lot of development of holodeck novels and the the, right. the, uh, the pool hall in France that he builds. And so it does kind of fit that he understands the holodeck side of it anyways. That's true. That's and true. he's friends with Harry Kim. So and it he's makes friends sense. with Harry Kim, which, of course, yeah. makes sense, too. Yeah. 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 So he, he, he uh, reasons that the doctor can't be converted into energy like the other three officers were because he's already energy and therefore he'll probably be safe or safer. Well, uh, he could, I'm he not could sure be, that logic. He could be depatterned, yeah. but then we just reboot him. Right, right. Which oh, but, but this, this is, these, these are Starfleet computers that, you know, you can't have more than one copy of anything, and yeah. if the original copy's lost, it's gone. <laughs> and... I do want to mention, by the way, uh, kind of jumping back, King Rothgar was played by uh, the actor Michael Keenan, who also plays Patrick, one of the genetic, uh, genetically altered oh, really? folks in DS9. Oh, wow. Same actor. Yeah, he oh, died. Okay, the older one. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, and he died earlier this year, April thirtieth. I mean, oh. early, earlier last year, April thirtieth in uh, twenty twenty. So, uh, but uh, so rest his soul. But um, yeah, so and he's also in Sub Rosa, which there's yeah. no more mention. <laughs> no, yeah. we do not need to talk about that anymore. <laughs> we'll get to that soon enough. <laughs> so this is going to be the Doctor's first trip outside of sick bay on Voyager. They, he's never mm-hmm. remember he doesn't have that futuristic thirtieth century. Bubble portable emitter. hollow emitter. So uh, he's going to be able to leave sickbay for the first time. They're going to give him control of the pro- of his program to either be solid or let other things pass through him. So that for a, sort of a safety thing, but that is obviously at some point he won't be able to. Yeah. Uh, Kess then talks with the doctor about how he's oh, nervous about the mission. This is yeah, great. These, this yeah. nice Kess thing. She encourages him to pick a name for himself. Finally, yeah. Which and I'm so glad they eventually dropped this and it's like okay yeah. we've we've been we've proven for over sixty years now you can have a character who's just called the Doctor and even build a whole show around him you don't <laughs> you don't need a name right and so I'm glad they dropped this but he says that he's thought of three names that he might pick and Cass says well before you go to the holodeck why don't you pick one so you know. You'll feel more like a Starfleet officer, and so we'll all know what to call you after you're dead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we don't just have to put EMH on the tombstone. That, that's right. He's wearing a blue shirt, blue uniform, so he doesn't have to worry about yeah. it. So after being transferred to the holodeck, the doctor, like, there's this nice little moment where he seems taken with the idea of being in this new environment mm-hmm. outside yeah. of sick bay. He touches uh, a tree for the first time, and there's this moment on Robert Picardo's face. It's a really nice moment, and yep. it also made me wonder, wow, there is a lot of Spanish moss in Denmark <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> hanging on those trees. <laughs> <laughs> and then he encounters Freya again, and he tells her his name. He is Schweitzer. Yeah, oh. he's named for Dr. Albert Schweitzer. And 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 Freya says a warrior's name. And I'm going, really? In German, Schweitzer means either a doorman or a person who milks livestock. 
<laughs> Although it will lead to a great moment at the uh, at at the end of one of the acts where the the all of the Vikings are chanting Schweitzer, Schweitzer, Schweitzer. <laughs> it's a very bizarre moment, but uh, it's good. On their way to the meat hall, Freya spots a fungus that she collects, and she uh-huh. says that they brew it into tea before battle, and it gives them the spirit of the bear. And the doctor says it's poisonous, yep. and it will kill you. Uh, and so this is a real thing. I mean, and we talked about this in the episode of Mysterious World on Werewolves. Yep. That, you know, you do have these psychoactive substances that Vikings would use and, you know, people, various warrior peoples would use before battle. But the particular fungus that he names, Amantia muscaria. Yeah. Yep. It's not what they're holding in their hands. What no, they're holding is, I don't know, it looks, it looks like what you'd pick up down at the Chinese market, but it is not Amanita <laughs> muscaria. Amanita muscaria is the famous, it's like the most famous mushroom in the world. It's the one yes. with the red cap and the little white spots. Yes. It's the, the, it's is... the Mario Brothers mushroom. <laughs> right, <Yeah>. right. Exactly. <laughs> I, I don't know why, like, uh, why they wouldn't get, anyway, never mind. Like, just why they wouldn't just get. A prop that looks like that, but uh, whatever. Because they went down to the Chinese market and bought the mushrooms there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Also, yeah. So, <laughs> oh, well. Those that does not kill, it makes strong, is what Freya says. And he's like, yeah. And then she says, ooh, you must be a master of herb lore. And, uh, <laughs> and she says, Freya says, you are truly a man of many talents, Lord Schweitzer. Your people must value you greatly. And he says, You'd think so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do like Robert Ricardo really carries the humor, like with that mm-hmm. sardonic humor that the doctor well, becomes famous for. He, he's such a good actor in these kind of these sarcastic humor type yeah. characters. I mean, he really, he really plays that role so well. So he fits this perfectly. Yeah, I, do, I really do like Robert Ricardo. And I do think he really d- develops, you know, he takes what he's given with the doctor and he really does something with it over the course of the series. And I do yeah, appreciate yeah. that. Well, he's, uh, the, he's the breakout character. They, oh, yeah. The yes. producers thought Neelix was going to be the breakout character like Quark was, so he's kind of a low-budget Quark. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it was really the Doctor that was the breakout character. Well, the problem, Neelix was just annoying. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just goes to show how the producers so often don't actually know what people want to see <laughs> in their shows. Yeah. You know, that what what is going to work. It's just kind of funny. So... They encounter the king in this meat hall and his chief warrior, Unferth, uh, who, and that goes exactly, this, not exactly, but mostly the same as with Ch- Tugak and Chakotay. Unferth is s- suspicious and angry. Um, this time he lets Unferth attack him, and he strikes him with the blade, but it goes right through him to the delight of the Vikings. Yeah, and notice that he's got, the, so they, Paris had beamed in a tricorder for him yes. to use. And he's got the tricorder on his hip, so he's mm-hmm. apparently selectively immaterial. He lets the right. center part of his body become immaterial so the sword can pass through him, but apparently his hip and his leg is still material, so the tricorder doesn't fall to the floor. Right. Right, right. And then for, uh, after that, this is when we get the Schweitzer, Schweitzer, the, 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 the Vikings love that, uh, that he survives that. Yeah. Um, then- a couple of notes here. Uh-huh. So... So one of them is the characters, and it, even before we get to the Schweitzer-Schweitzer moment, mm-hmm. we have various characters, and we see this in other holodeck stories where someone's playing a novel. 
where the characters in the novel are like sucking up to the player. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And making the player seem like, oh, you're so important and stuff. And I hate that. Yeah. It's know, like, but- I don't, I don't like novels where the minor characters are sucking up to the protagonist. Well, I would not want that in a hollow novel. That is bad writing. Well, to be fair, as Dom pointed out, this very much is like the old school, like graphical RPGs and like the Ultima series and things like that, where you're the most important person ever because you're <laughs> going to be the avatar of Ultima or something, you know? Right. So it, that's true. It actually does fit the genre that the hollow novel is supposed to be. Yeah. Well, and, that's Paul Paul novel. <laughs> yeah. I, I, ick, I yeah. don't like it. <laughs> I yeah. mean, if if you have so this is one of the problems with Harry Potter, in my view. I read the mm-hmm. first Harry Potter book because I had to for apologetic purposes, and it it screams from the opening pages. Harry is the most important person in the world oh, in yes. this in this literally, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it is. I it's like no, this has to be earned. You mm-hmm. cannot just it. It's bad writing to just have someone. Oh, this is the child of promise that is clearly the most important thing ever. It's just, it's, it's, I could go on about why it's so bad, but it's really bad. By comparison, Jerry Pornell's novel, Star Swarm, is almost, in certain ways, it's like a sci-fi mirror image of Harry Potter. You have Mm. the same core dynamic. You've got the little boy who's lost his parents. He's got one friend who's a girl. He's got another friend who's a boy. And he's the most important person in the world. But he doesn't know it. Mm, and right. he grows into this role, and you gradually find out why he's so important. That, and even he doesn't realize what's going on with him. And it is so vastly more satisfying to have this earned character importance re- that's slowly revealed rather than just being told it from the first page. Hmm. And so I just, I, it, this kind of writing annoys me, including here in these hollow novels. Another thing that annoys me is the ridiculous, stupid Starfleet woke anachronisms. Because <laughs> Freya, at, at one point, she says to like Chakotay and Tuvok that she'll see them in the morning, fate willing. And then right. she'll, she'll, she says to, uh, to the doctor, fate be with you. And it's like, come on. Beowulf is an explicitly Christian tale. Yes. Right. She would have said, God willing and God be with you. And it's the ridiculous, stupid Star Trek political correctness that is causing these anachronisms to be put into her mouth. You're betraying your source material. If you want to do Beowulf, do Beowulf and let people yep. experience it. Right. Right. Like, who are you offending? Like, by, by just, that's in the material. It's in the, in the original. Like, just say it. Like, it, it, just if you say, God be with you, why would that, like, even back in the 90s, they were doing this. It's just so ridiculous. Uh, yeah. You know, when you talk about Harry Potter, I was thinking, like, Ender's Game is a kind of, mm-hmm. like, it, Harry Potter is kind of a magical realism version of Ender's right. Game. But mm-hmm. Ender's Game, again, Ender is He's not. The mo- well, he, yeah. He yeah, doesn't even realize till the end what was going on. Right. right. He is the most important person in the world, and they are rigorously keeping this a secret from him. Yeah. Right. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Sorry. <laughs> That's a very interesting topic <laughs> for another podcast, but it, it's, a good, it's a good tangent. So anyway, we come back from the commercial break, apparently, at this point, and 
the doctor is now feasting on a big elk uh, haunch and is asked to tell a tale of his prowess in battle. So he tells him about <laughs> fighting an outbreak of measles, uh, which <laughs> disgusts Unferth, who like thinks this is a stupid thing. No, it was it wasn't just measles; it was space measles. Space, yeah. right, right, right. Some some like alien name measles. He gets a tour of the hall from Rothgar, who tells him of his first kill at age eleven. You know, relates this sad story that the hall was once beautiful, but it will be again when the doctor kills Grendel. Freya talks about how the hope among her people has been lost, and she asks him, "Do you know what it is to be alone among many and unable to speak your fears?" And the doctor says, oh, "Yes, I do." And this is. This is the weakest part of the Doctor's character development in this episode, really. This, this whole, like, oh, I, they treat me like a hologram, and it's, I'm, I'm, I'm alone among this Starfleet crew of real people. You know, I'm, I'm, mm. I'm not just Pinocchio, I'm a real boy. And I'm yeah. like, mm, but you are a hologram. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> but, okay. And, and then Freya puts the moves on him. She offers to keep him warm. Yeah, <laughs> she tells him, yeah. my bed is right over there. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And she like kisses him and stuff and he's he's not following up on her advances but she leaves it open. And this is the point where the fact this scenario is playing out again becomes relevant because you know yep. Harry Kim as Beowulf <laughs> the first time through <laughs> was at this moment in this program. <laughs> and and he may have made different choices than mm. The doctor is. <laughs> well, we, we saw the result of that on Lower Decks and what, what has yeah. to happen on a regular basis in the holodeck. <laughs> well, <laughs> also, we saw it recently on Deep Space Nine in the Move Along Home episode, oh. yep. where after Quark has gotten caught cheating the forehead writing people at Dabo, uh, he offers them a free stay in a holosuite and says, do you know what a holosuite is? Do you have sex in your culture? So, yeah. yeah it, we didn't mention it at the time when we talk about that, but that really... Draws a line about what Quark's hollow suites are all about. They're not yeah. like like Starfleet holodecks. They they do eventually change that. They do uh, yes. retcon it so that it's it's basically a hollow holodeck, but it's yeah. you know in Quark's instead of on a starship. But yeah, yeah, yeah. which is yeah. Ew. So <laughs> after she leaves, Grendel shows up, and we are told it's some kind of photonic energy uh, formation. Just I say that some. Photonic energy. Had had that in my notes. Yep, some kind of photonic energy. <laughs> That's not the only some formation. kind of, some sort of. So we got a couple. Yeah, more I've, I've up. got them all here. So we'll, I'll let you know. <laughs> uh, it it grabs his arm, and as the emergency transfer him back to the sick bay, he's minus an arm. This is actually an in joke, one of the Beowulf in jokes. In the actual mm -hmm. Beowulf, it was Grendel who lost an arm to Beowulf. Right. But in mm. this one, Beowulf, quote unquote, loses his arm to Grendel. So little little joke there. Uh, luckily, they are able to restore it because he is, after all, just a perp. And uh, Torres says, uh, "There's there appears to be synaptic patterns in my readings oh. of Grendel. Oh, gee, you think maybe it might be intelligent? Oh, <laughs> Come on, this, this is uh. so. This is ridiculous because <laughs> they they've detected synaptic patterns, and the other th the other life form they've got in the bottle now yes. escapes, and they're detecting these synaptic patterns." And we're told, quote, those synaptic patterns could be some sort some kind. Of, of neural net. <laughs> and it's like, do you know what synapses are? Right. You know, I mean, synapses <laughs> form neural nets. So yeah. yes. what is the problem here? I mean, this is supposed to be 
We know this even in, in primitive human 21st century science. What's the problem? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, right. Like, if it's a synaptic pattern, it's a neural net. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, so, but yeah, that's the next some kind. <laughs> also, if, if we're, it, even we in the lowly 21st century know that if you've got a problematic space like your malfunctioning holodeck, send in a bunch of drones. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> yes. Which in Discovery, they probably would do, because Discovery has drones by now, you know, as, as we see. Uh, so the, uh, this, the photonic being escapes out through the whole hull, apparently literally cutting through the ship to get there. Like, it yep. mm-hmm. punches they- a hole right through the ship from engineering. And they got to use a force field to uh, seal the hole. Yep. And it looks, by the way, it's a little glowing octopus-looking thing. It's kind of like a baby Vorlon. <laughs> yes, and and then uh, once it gets out into space, it opens a jump gate and goes inside it. Yes, a big ball oh, no. of light it goes into a, it goes into some kind of photonic lattice. lattice. <laughs> yeah. Yes, some kind of it's a photonic lattice. Just say it. <laughs> like, why do they this? <laughs> they all do this. Why do they do that? Anyway, they detect three readings from the lattice. Uh, some bio readings that could be the missing crew. You think? Janeway thinks that the photonic creatures were retaliating against the kidnapping of their own people, which seems a bit of a stretch, but okay. Uh, but she's making but a, a, a little jump here. For reasons, she's right. Yes. Mm-hmm. So they des- decided to make a peace offering. The doctor is going to take the last sample back to the holodeck to release it to Grendel, but, which I say, well, why not just like go to the hangar deck and open the thing and let it float out into space? Is that I, not? I, I I think by giving it to the Grendel thing that's been taking yeah. it, they're trying to underscore the connection. You've been taking our people through the Grendel okay. thing. We're giving you yours back through the Grendel right. thing. Okay, okay. So um, you can't just have a simple resolution. Of course, you need to have some something that impedes the the moment of of climactic resolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he he encounters Freya again, and then Unferth shows up to stop them, accusing the Doctor of being in league with Grendel. And, and then and then Unferth slaps him with a sword. <laughs> yes, it is, it is a slap. And yes. and then un, when when Freya defends him, we have a scene involving hand biting and face pushing, which is just what I want to see in a sword fight. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. It is a lame sword fight. Uh, <laughs> but Freya uh, defends the Doctor and ends up getting killed. And Unferth runs off with a photonic being, while the the Doctor is mourning the apparent death of the hollow novel character who will be reset as soon as the holodeck is under control again. Uh, <laughs> he's, he has fallen in love with her. As she's there dying and she's, oh, I'm going to die with your name on my lips, Schweitzer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he's like spending way, it's like, Doc, you're spending way too much time playing and yes. not enough perf- mission performing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got a mission to perform here. You can play this hollow novel if you want later. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and apparently she's dying from a shoulder wound. She's been stabbed in the shoulder uh, and is dying from it, uh, yeah. this this uh, peripheral wound. He confronts Unferth in the Mead Hall, and he tells them the only reason he won't die today is because the doctor has taken an oath to do no harm, which is why he grabbed a sword and chased after Unferth. But Also, we have the—he was told right before he went into the holodeck that he's gonna, if he's going to hold the container with the, with the baby Vorlon, he's yep. going to have to stay solid. Yes, and, then, and it's so, like, well, he could selectively make his body unsolid he could keep his earlier. Solid. He could keep his hand <laughs> solid, <laughs> right? Just like before the tricorder. So he calls Grendel, releases the creature, asks it to return the crew. 
which it does. And afterward, the doctor and Janeway talk about first contact, and she's going to give him a commendation. So she's going to start treat she starts treating him like a real member of the crew, and she wants to put a name on the commendation. And he's decided not to keep the name Schweitzer uh, because you know the last time he heard it was was a painful moment, and he and and he will never take a name again. Like you said, they they drop this idea eventually. I mean, it comes Which up good once in a while. And, and in fact, when they see the like the time travel one where they see the future after they've returned home, the, he has a name there when he's also married to a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but and in it, general, it's some, like really it, common name too, like Smith or something like that. Bob, you know? Bob, <laughs> yeah. Hi, I'm Doctor Bob. <laughs> Hi, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> that and then that's where we end things. Yeah, although Janeway says something tells me this won't be the last time you get out of the sick bay, and he says something tells me that too, and I'm going, yeah, duh, that's the obvious progression. Thank you for hanging two lanterns on it in the same scene. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we'll be coming back. Um, so I want I, one last thing, like I want to say about this, and then I'll, I'll get your last notes. But uh, before this story, the Doctor, and this is the 11th story of the first season, the Doctor had been kind of a blank slate as a character. He, like, he mm-hmm. had some moments, but he was, there wasn't much there. But this episode does, op- does open up all the possibilities for the character. Like, it really, this is where the Doctor's character really gets its real beginning as a mm-hmm. source of story and, and plot for the future. So uh, that, that's one thing that makes this episode notable. Uh, right. Father... Any other notes, Father Corey? Uh, I, I mean, that's that. I'm not the biggest fan of this episode, but the, the issues you know, with the development of the Doctor is, is about the only thing I really like about this episode, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I will say, though, that the EMH had more first contacts than USS Cerritos, so that's saying <laughs> something. <laughs> Jimmy? I, I, I don't have any other notes, really, although something just occurred to me. Was, now, I tend to rag on bad writing, and if, particularly on Voyager. But one thing I, I will give him credit for, the way they have the Doctor written as an EMH, especially in the beginning, but it continues throughout, is actually really, is actually really good. Whenever he is activated, his, the first thing he says is, please state the nature of the medical emergency. Mm-hmm. And that's good. I yep. have, I've had the experience, this was um, a couple years ago. I was at a dance, and I was uh, dancing uh, as part of it, and I realized all of a sudden something has happened, and an older member of the club had just suffered cardiac arrest mm. And mm. as he was dancing. And we sprang into action as a group. There were nurses there who immediately began working on him. I was the president of the club. I got on the phone immediately to 911 and I ran to the office of the facility where we were at, where they had a defibrillator. Mm-hmm. And we got the defibrillator and we brought it back and hooked it up to him. And it would monitor. They have these defibrillators now. It's like an EMH. They, mm-hmm. they, you know, you put uh, the, the, the sensors on the person's chest and it detects their heart rhythm and determines whether or not to uh, give a shock and what kind of shock to give, and it does it, and it'll give instructions to the people who are surrounding there, like if you need to do CPR, it will say, give breath now, and you breathe into the person's mouth, and you, it'll say, pump the chest now, and it walks you through the process. Yep. And so it's like an EMH. Um, but what struck me 
was when I got on the phone to 911, I expected some kind of Voyager-like efficiency, please state the nature of, an, of the emergency. Yeah. Right. And that wasn't there. I had they I had they it was the the nine eleven operators were much more fumbling huh. around what was happening. I expected them to have like a clean, crisp, efficient script that they would walk the person on the other end of the phone through, and they didn't. I had to take the initiative and say, "Here's what's going on." Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, by the way, we saved the guy's life. Okay. We kept him alive long <laughs> enough for the uh, for the real first responders to get there. And so we saved his life that night as a group. But it was fascinating to me working with a sort of generation one, you know, emergency (laughs) medical robot and also working with an emergency service telephonically and talking to it in that way and noting the differences from Voyager. And and, and by the way, this is a a good time to kind of make that that PSA if if you're business if your church if your school doesn't have aeds the the art of automatic defibrillators that might be something worth donating especially like to a church or mm. something mm, uh you know to have point. available even if again if it's just sitting in an office somewhere just to have that available because stuff like this does happen in those kind of places so yeah that's a good point excellent point uh yeah i do like the idea that they that's built built into the character of the doctor is this that like that efficiency that he's created for this purpose and that and that mm-hmm. would be that would be i mean it, it's a logical character to have if you if you have that good of hol- holodeck technology yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so uh, well, that was it, it one is, of the things i liked about it, it is kind of kind of funny though because you know one of the big complaints for the doctor of the, by the voyager crew was he doesn't have much of a bedside manner he's not programmed to have a bedside manner the only time the, right. the EMH is supposed to be active is there's an emergency and bedside manner doesn't matter at that point. Right. Your yeah. your your chief medical officer, your medical staff is unavailable or overworked or you know or dead or, or right. dead, be, dead or because dead. you're in the delta quadrant and no. <laughs> yes. When you're in deep space, you're far away from, you know, it's weeks away from anywhere. That this sort of thing makes sense. I, I like that yep. that they've done this. Uh I wonder if we'll ever see an EMH on like discovery. That would be interesting. Uh, again, well, uh, saying all this after the third season of Discovery, but we haven't seen it yet. So just so you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Let's, uh, I think that should do it. We should wrap things up there. Uh, let's take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Christopher H., Joe J., Jimmy D., Megs G., and Father Dean. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest, you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who once again is editing the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What did you think of Heroes and Demons or Beowulf in Space? Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Media, or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the Enterprise episode, Silent Enemy. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thanks, Tom, and live long and prosper. And Father Cory Stika, thank you as well. Thank you, Tom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember... 